Hi, my name is Dr. Sarah Adams. I am a board-certified pediatrician, but I'm not your pediatrician. Feel free to use my podcast as helpful information, but in no way do I intend my podcast to replace the advice of your physician. Your physician knows you and is in the best position to provide medical advice. Hello, and welcome to Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. One of the things that I get to do in my career is attend the Ohio American Academy of Pediatrics annual meeting. And when I was at the annual meeting this last November, I had the opportunity to meet some amazing people from Beach Acres Parenting Center, which is located in Cincinnati. Let me tell you a little bit about the center. They like to uncover the natural gifts of children by unleashing the power of parents and caregivers. And I love that. That's like my mission. Beach Beach Acres Parenting Center has been serving the greater Cincinnati community for over 170 years. I was looking at their website, literally beachacres.org, B-E-E-C-H-A-C-R-E-S.org. And they have such a rich history in taking care of children, starting even in the 1800s, which is amazing to me. As a contemporary parenting center, the Beach Acres Parenting Center serves over 15,000 people annually and has a wide range of services, such as like foster care, adoption, behavioral health support, parenting coaches, and so much more. They go to schools, they work in pediatric offices and in the community. And they have a number of innovative services like the character effect, parent connect, and beyond the classroom. And all of these programs are founded in their natural strength parenting framework, which enables parents to unlock their own potential by building on their unique strengths. You know, I say all the time, not one family is the same. And so I love that. Their mission is combining science and compassion to deliver innovative solutions that equipped adults to meet children's needs and cultivate their strengths. And their vision is to imagine a world where every child's natural strengths are nurtured so they realize their endless potential. And that gives me chills. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce my guest, Dr. Sue Sievertson. And she is a senior parent specialist at Parent Connect through Beach Acres Parenting Center in Cincinnati. Welcome, Sue. And uh, thank you so much for being a guest on Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. Sarah, thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure to be here. It has been a pleasure working for Beach Acres with Parent Connect and just really working our shared vision, right? To support children and families the best way we know how. I agree. I My why really is so similar to yours. And that is, I really want to equip parents to be the best version of themselves. Because we know that so often as parents, as adults, as caretakers, you know, it's, I always say kids weren't born with manuals, right? I mean, we have lots of books and tools to read from, but every child is unique. Every family is unique. So would you take a moment and tell us a little bit more about yourself and the work that you do through Parent Connects? 
I would love to. So I have a PhD in human development and family studies. And really throughout my career, I've studied how do you optimize child development? How do you build parenting plans around individual children so that you can help them grow as productively as possible? And by productively, I don't mean perfect. I don't mean being the best. I don't mean we have to find your passion and capitalize on it. I mean, you've entered this world, you have these unique strengths, let me support you into adulthood in a kind, but also firm sort of way. And so landing at Beach Acres was wonderful. I had just had a wonderful career as an in-home daycare provider for six years. Wonderful. I loved it. I stopped doing (laughs) that to begin writing a bit. And I saw the position announcement for this job. We're looking for somebody to receive referrals from pediatricians. We started with TriHealth and to work with parents on their parenting journey. And I've done that now for seven years, over 5,000 coaching sessions. And it has been a delight walking hand in hand with parents on this very difficult yet fulfilling journey of parenting. You know, it's amazing because I really wish that there were avenues such as this when when I was raising my kids because it is challenging and even and depending I mean so many families and situations um, are different. I would like to to speak on my nephew who him and his wife fostered two children and ended up adopting them and they both have unique and unique strengths, unique challenges, right? And then I think about, and they have two boys, and I think about even my own family, which of course, genetically, same gene pool in this situation, and they have their own unique strengths and unique challenges. So really trying to meet the families where they are at is is spectacular. Now, do you work remotely with these families or do you do you go to the pediatric offices uh tell me what a day in the life of uh, dr sievertson is like sure it's a bit of a hybrid now we we absolutely began working in pediatric offices and so we would be there if a pediatrician was consulting with the family they could bring us in or we just sat in the office and we scheduled appointments right there at the office and then good old COVID arose mm-hmm. and just changed it for everybody and so now probably 90 percent of my work is online. We, we use a telehealth platform and it has been wonderful because you could do it with your children there. I can see live what's happening. Mm-hmm. If somebody's sick, we're good. Our cancellation rate went way down because you know the online platform is so flexible. Well, and I imagine right now I know Ohio is being hit with snow and yet you can still keep those appointments, you know, hopefully uh, in that situation. So are you reaching beyond the Cincinnati area then as well? We are. We have clients in Cleveland. We actually have a whole group of clients in Texas. We can meet anywhere anytime. So if you have a friend or family member who says, oh, I don't know what to do about potty trading. 
I don't know what to do about non-compliance. We just got an ADHD diagnosis. Oof, my six-year-old is starting to seem very anxious. We say, really, from potty to prom, we've got mm-hmm. you covered. That's a great analogy from potty to prom. And so much goes on in between. What do you think is your most common concern or question that you work with these families about? Well, I'll tell you, our number one referral rate is three-year-olds, right? You're coming into an age where you're more independent and you want to act on the world in your own way. Mm -hmm. So most of our work is around behaviors and emotions. People will say, I have a child that's defiant, is strong-willed, won't listen. And we say, oof, you have a very brave self-advocate who's also active. Let me help you channel that in the most productive way. Yes, I love that. I love that. And for parents to really see that in their child as young as three, that helps, I would imagine, the parent also help others as the child grows. I remember, you know, my, my Gabe was very active, so smart. I felt like when he was three years old, I, I had nothing more to teach him, you know. He and he was, you know, he he knew it all. I, I used to joke and say he never asked why. He his comment was, you know what? You know what? He was telling me. <laughs> but he had such a good heart. And you know, sometimes I felt as he went to grade school, because of course he was talkative and you know, very um also very entertaining. And so I found in him that uh, sometimes the teachers misunderstood. So I love that you got to really start by helping the parents truly look at their child and their unique potentials. So how hard is it to get them to, I don't want to say buy into that because this is their child. Is it difficult for them to kind of change that view and, and work with those those descriptions versus kind of how they're feeling? I think it's a process. I think all of us have this idea of what parenting is going to be like. And we step into it and it's so much harder than we ever could have imagined. They are (laughs) just people with their own personalities, their own strengths and their own challenges. But I think what drives the process is their love for their children. Yes, If they step into coaching, they're already open-minded. They already love learning. And so really one of the first things that we do is we normalize how hard it is. And we really open them to the concept that there isn't perfect parenting. There are no perfect children. How do we embrace perfectly imperfect together? What are your thoughts about there's I I it's like a I don't want to say it's a new term but it seems like especially in social media I've heard many experts use the deep feeling child. Have you heard that before or the deep feeling kid DFK or something like that? What what are your thoughts about that? I I imagine it's just an again another more positive way to describe maybe a child who's strong will 
Yeah, and I I use the term passionate. I've heard the term deeply feeling, but some people feel things more deeply than others. You know, back in the day as women, we were called histrionic, definitely a pejorative negative term. And I just say, what a gift you have. This person knows how they feel. This person is able to express how they feel. And so really our core goal and our core teaching with parents in that moment is How do we step in, name it to tame it, show them that we understand, really hold space, sit in the feeling with them, not forever. Neuroscience tells us the life cycle of an emotion is about 90 seconds where adrenaline and cortisol spike. (laughs) Those are those stress hormones that may think, may make things seem worse than they actually are. But if I can attend to what's real for them, instead of trying to pound the truth into them, then I'm more likely to really facilitate the process of that adrenaline and cortisol releasing so that we can have a conversation. Dr. Sarah, I always ask parents this question. And I'll ask you this question. We're we're, we're going to talk about emotions, how to support children under big emotions. I ask this question, Dr. Sarah, do you now or have you ever had somebody you could talk to when you were upset that by the end of the conversation, you felt better? That's a very good question. I, I definitely feel like there's some people in my life that I know I can turn to and they they either, you know, because sometimes you just want to be heard. You don't always want an answer, right? And so I I know there's some that I could just turn to and say a few things and they tend to calm me for sure. And, and so they tend to calm you. How, what do they do and say that has a calming effect over you? You know what, to be honest, I would say it's showing empathy. I, I, and it's interesting that you're making me realize that it really is just showing empathy, just saying, wow, that must be really hard or a comment like, and, and it, again, they're not, you know, they're not saying something bad about another person. They're not trying to fix it. They're not, you know, it's just, just really acknowledging and naming the emotion you named, you said something, name it to tame it. I was like, Oh, I got to remember that phrase. So yes, I feel like they're naming the emotion and and then offering empathy. That's right. And that's what the literature has found. Name it to tame it comes from Dan Siegel. He's a wonderful research that has really brought neuroscience into the field of parent education, the whole brain child or brainstorm, the power and purpose of the teenage brain really helps frame things developmentally and in line with neuroscience. So one of the first things you said people do for you, Dr. Sarah, is they listen. Yes. That's what kids need first. We have a tendency to go right to the value. They didn't exhibit the value. They know it. Why didn't they do it? They didn't do it because they're in their feeling brain. So if first and foremost, if I just listen, if I, like you said, you're frustrated, you don't want to eat vegetables, mm-hmm. you wish you didn't have to go to school, or maybe we'll make it a little bit worse. Maybe they just whacked their sister, right? 
Yes. Don't start with that strength. Oh, you're so brave. Or you don't like it when people take things from you. I love that you stand up for yourself. And you were frustrated because your sister took that from you. I want to hold right there in that space, soothing their limbic system, normalizing what they did, letting them know I'm on their side before I get to my values. Now they can, oh, my mom gets it. My mom understands. My sister took that and that's not nice. And I was mad. Yeah, it's okay to be mad. When people take things from us, we do want to do something to get it back. And then when I see they've come down, now I can have my teachable moment. But just like you, when you're upset, I don't want advice right away. I don't want to be criticized. <laughs> I want you to listen, please. That's so true. That is so true. And I love that you broke it down. I May I share with you a parent who called me in a frantic? And so there are a lot of a lot of uh, variables here. And I'll, I'll be brief. They had gotten up at three o'clock in the morning because they had to catch a flight. They were going on vacation and they checked into the hotel and et cetera. And by like three, four in the afternoon, now 12 hours after being up and traveling, one, uh, they're one of their chi- children who is very deep feeling or, you know, very passionate. I love this kid. I really do. And um, he, what she said, just kind of lost it. You know, he was screaming, he was yelling, he was hitting, he was saying things like, I don't, he, he, he's an adopted child. So again, that's another variable, but he was saying things like, I don't want to be part of this family, you know, and that, like you said, that's that, that, that high level of that fight and flight, you know, and, and she Poor thing called me crying, just, I, we don't know what to do, you know, and we're we're in this hotel room and, and so on. And I had suggested to her, you know, maybe let's try an activity that could be calming, you know, to that sympathetic system. And I had suggested, why don't, why don't you suggest, let's take a bath, you know, but how would you help that family, um, you know, in that situation? First, I'd normalize that, yes, your child is adoption adopted. Yes, there could be additional factors related to that. But many kids say, I hate you. I don't mm-hmm. want to be a part of this family. I'm running away. I never want to see you again. Somewhere between 5 and 12, you might see that with most kids. So first, I'd normalize that. Second, there are emotions, but there's also this acronym called HALTS that comes from the literature with people who are um, dealing with addiction. And it kind of explains some of the times we might react. So HALT stands for hungry, angry, lonely, tired, sick, or stressed. Well, we clearly have tired in the house. Stress is in the house. I'm not going to say, oh, buddy, you're tired, because usually somebody's going to say, no, I'm not tired. I'm going to say, you're really upset. You don't want to be a part of this family. This is just all too much. And you wish you were somewhere else. I always want to start there with a reflection. But, but, it's, but it's a very gentle you. 
Not, I know you're mad, but we don't yell at each other. I know you're mad, but we don't say mean things. As soon as I put my butt in there, right, I'm pushing them away from me. Yes. If I say you, you're frustrated, be quiet. I'm waiting for the adrenaline and cortisol to flush. You don't want to be here. Be quiet. See what happens. See if they offer you that next piece of information. Sometimes it's something totally different. Sometimes they're just overwrought. Sometimes mm-hmm. it might be, oh, buddy, you're, you're so upset. Let's just sit here. Yeah, so... so- so listening, like you said, when I when you asked my example, I said that they just they start by listening. And now what you're saying, I hear you saying is then reflect. It's like reflective listening, reflect on what they just shared in a way that they it's not being critical or judgmental is what I hear you saying. Absolutely. The way I break it down, too, is you can use one of four different reflections. I love to start with reflecting back the child's strength, but you really know how you feel. I appreciate your passion. Thanks for being brave. Well, buddy, you're always willing to advocate for yourself. Why? Because they know I'm on their side. They know I see all of them and not just this one (laughs) moment in time, right? That can overwhelm all of us. And they're less likely to be defensive. My mom sees me. My mom gets me. So reflecting back the strength is a great way to start. Then you can reflect back the feeling. You're overwhelmed. You're mad. You could reflect back the trigger. You don't want to be a part of this family. You don't want to eat broccoli. You don't want to go to school. You want more candy. You want more electronics. Haven't all of us heard that? (laughs) And then the last one is sometimes you can do that and not get any traction in those determined advocates. You kind of have to bottom line. And I'm really suggesting you stay in this with them for two to five minutes, right? If that's not working, I might reflect back the value. Betty, I wish that were a healthy choice. Hmm. I wish it were a kind choice for you to continue to yell at me, right? I might have to then, if it's too big and too bad, initiate a break. Not like timeout, go to your room right now, sit in there for three minutes. That's punitive. More of a, oof, we're not getting anywhere in a kind, productive way. Let's take a break. If they won't go, and oftentimes kids won't, you might say, I'm going to go sit on my bed. You can join me if you want. Some kids, you just have to plop down on the floor with them. Buddy, I'm here. Mm -hmm. Other kids really need to go to their room or go take a walk and have no stimuli around them before they can come down. Stimuli meaning other people. Mm-hmm. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on those reflections? Have you ever used those with other people? Do they work well with you? Yes, absolutely. I I use them a lot in many areas of my life. You know, I think working with parents, you know, I think both of we have a common uh common career and that we we work with parents or caregivers and and I I love that because you know even being a parent it's so emotional I know for myself I try really hard you know to make sure that parents in my practice understand I'm there for them and that I'm not here to judge I'm here to help I'm here to teach I'm here to help them make decisions so I I love reflective you know, reflective listening and using what I call different pearls, you know, um, like partnership and apology, you know, it's okay to say, I'm 
I'm really sorry that that you're feeling that way or even just acknowledging or legitimizing. I think anyone in that situation would feel the same way. You know, I think I think anyone that's if you know, we we've all been up since three in the morning and, and we're tired, you know, so I think we would all you know, like legitimizing and kind of acknowledging. And and then I always try to partnership, you know, and say when when we're trying to come up with good solutions. And that is, you know, I'm here to support you. Let's let's work together on trying to do that. So I, I think reflection and and then offering, you know, empath empathy is is something that's really for me changed my practice. And now I use it even with my husband. <laughs> So, you know, it works well instead of being reactive, right? If he's angry, I try to try to say, wow, it sounds like you're really upset about this, you know, and, and it helps too, I think, in any any way that we communicate. And I love that you mentioned three-year-olds. It's not too late, though, if you haven't started, you know, working with your child as a toddler, even if they are in that five to 12 range, it's or even teenagers, it's it's certainly not too late to start incorporating some of these techniques. Yeah, it's never too late. What we find is we, we get the three year old. We seem to see see that spike again between five and six, like when you enter full day school and you're so tired and overwhelmed. And, you know, from five to 12, now you're compared up against all of these other kids and that can be overwhelming and you you can feel less than with, with your teens. We see relationship transformed with teens. You're not going to fix them. But just by being with them, if they feel understood and heard by you, they're going to come to you with the problems. I mm-hmm. want my children to come to me with the problems and challenges they face in life. And I've, if I've done it from a frame, like you've talked about, very accepting, very willing to listen. And then I love your term. And then how do we partner together to make this happen? Then I'm creating a lifelong relationship based on connection versus the old school parenting mindset of compliance. You will mind, you will mind now. I think in terms of how do I support them into cooperation, I'll use your term, through partnership, Mm -hmm. versus punish them into compliance. Now, I'd like to backtrack. You mentioned timeouts and I'd love to know your thoughts about timeouts because I, you know, I, I, people really aren't talking about it anymore. And I've been a pediatrician for, um, I've been in pediatrics for 30 years and, you know, at 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 one point that, that was the thing. So I'd love to, you know, let people now who are listening, what your thoughts are on, on timeouts and if you still find it valuable. Sure. I think most of us were raised under a behavioral approach, right? Mm-hmm. So reward, punishment will get people to do what they want. And and what we've learned is we've come past that as a field. So I ask parents this who use timeout. Imagine you're home. You're crying at the table. Or you're having an interaction with your spouse or partner and you say something unkind. Those of us who've been married for a while, we have a partner, we get it. Sometimes you say the wrong thing, Mm -hmm. or sometimes you're really hurt and you just need support. 
imagine that person go to your room right now and stand there for two minutes. You send that to me. Isolation, go. It's not very helpful. Mm -mm. It's fuel on the fire. Or we say, figure it out. If they could have figured it out, they would have. So if in those moments where they, I, I, I tell parents this, imagine emotions are on a scale of one to 10. Okay. If you, Sarah, are anywhere between one and six on that scale of emotions, I can probably get through to you with reflections. Mm -hmm. I can get you to come back online. If you're seven to 10, I probably can't. And so instead of timeout, I prefer take a break in a non-punitive way. Yes. And you have to know the receiver of the take a break. So some people, hey, let's just sit here, you're upset, and just be the calm in their storm. Let the storm pass. Try a reflection here and there. If the reflection makes it worse, be quiet. Okay. Try a hug. For some people, kids will just fall into you. For me, if I'm mad, please don't touch me. So know what the recipient is like. It could be, hey, come on, let's go sit in your room for a minute. Sometimes kids just need to, oh, hey, I'm going to help you to the safe space. As soon as you're ready to talk, I'll be back. Sometimes you need to be the one to take a break. So I use it as take a break. And then you're modeling a very productive thing to do when you're upset. Instead of doing or saying something that could cause harm, I'm going to take a break instead. The number one we, way we teach children to deal with their emotions is how we model what we do with our emotions. I remember one time I'll tell you a story. Sometimes you don't know what to do as a parent. I have a PhD in early childhood education. Sometimes I didn't know what to do. So my older son wanted the privilege of going to a friend's house and staying out until nine o'clock instead of eight o'clock. He's probably in sixth or seventh grade. I'm like, yeah, he can handle it. I said, sure. I always like to think of things of privileges and responsibility. You can have the privilege as long as you can live up to the responsibility of the privilege. Mm -hmm. So he goes, nine o'clock comes, no son. Uh-oh. 9.15, no son. I call. He comes home. I said, hey, buddy, let's talk about this. And you wanted nine o'clock. I'm happy to extend that privilege to you as long as you're home by nine o'clock. Okay. So do you know where the clock is at their house? Do you want me to get you a watch? Do you want to set a timer? You know, no, mom, I got it. I got it. So second time, exact exact same thing happens. We come home, we have the talk again. And I said, okay, buddy, I'm going to give you one more chance. I said, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to tell their mom to set the timer for me. I said, well, it's not the mom's responsibility. It's your responsibility. He said, okay. So he comes home. No, no. So he doesn't come home. So this night he was supposed to be home at eight, eight. No, Mike, eight, 15, eight, 20. Now I'm starting to get mad. Mad, I'm, yeah. Okay. Can you please send my son home? So he comes walking home with these two little boys and they start to play football in my front yard. Now you can imagine I'm fuming. <laughs> I say, buddy, come in the house right now. We're allowed to bring out our mom voice. And I say, hey, look, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be something. But I am not in the frame of mind to do it well. Let's just go to bed and we'll handle it in the morning. So he does. And when I'm calmer in the morning, I think, what's the responsibility to honor a time commitment? What's the privilege? 
to be able to stay somewhere later. So what I said in the morning was, hey, look, this is new. It's hard. You're learning to honor a time commitment. So what I'm going to tell you is I gave you three chances. So you may not go to their house again until you've honored five time commitments with me in a row. If I say you can have electronics for 30 minutes, in 30 minutes, you need to come find me. If I say, hey, get your room cleaned, it's not that messy, come find me in 20 minutes. And so that's what I did. I took a break, I calmed down, and I thought, what's the privilege and responsibility? How do I teach the responsibility related to this privilege? And that's what we did. And when he had honored five time commitments with me, he could go to their home again. I love that because so often when we choose, you know, I always say in the practice, I try to teach parents that discipline is to teach, not necessarily to punish, because a lot of times all they remember is the punishment and not the message, you know, so I can remember things like, you know, where John and I would do, you know, or say things. And, and then I would think to myself, I, I really think all he's thinking about is me, no mom, instead of really about the time, it was more about the, you know, the punishment, so to speak. And so I, I learned as a parent that I, what I want them to learn, like you said, is that, there is that, you know, privilege and then that responsibility versus walking away, just remembering, you know, I had to do this or I wasn't allowed to go to my friend's house, you know, and that's all they remember. So what I what I love, what I'm trying to say is we want them to remember and learn the lesson, not necessarily dwell on what they could or couldn't do, but understand why. Yes, the why. And what's the why always linked to? Your values as a parent. Mm -hmm. want, we all want kind, safe, responsible, hardworking. I mean, we, healthy. We would all pick different 10 things, but those five most of us have in common. And so can we teach that gently? First by example, and then second by just having the conversation, being curious, like why did you do what you did? There's mm -hmm. probably an I want, I don't want to, or a feeling underneath that. So exploring that instead of you're bad, you should, I can't believe it. Mm -hmm. No, not that because children then feel lots of shame. I, I don't want lots of shame. I want to, oof, was that kind? Let me link it to my value, depersonalize it. And then, wow, all right, so we made a mistake. Let me normalize that. We all make mistakes. You want a growth mindset? normalize mistakes in your household. That's okay. We all make mistakes. But then instead of punishment, accountability. So what are we going to do to make it better? Mm -hmm. what are you gonna do? Yeah. And I love that you took a time, you took a break. You, you're, And that's okay for parents to learn that because it also gives, you're going to have an opportunity to be able to share the information when you're in the right mindset. You were talking about like, let's give them a moment. If they're in that seven to 10, if we're in that seven to 10, we're probably not going to be the best version of ourselves either. So just taking a step back and saying, you know what, we're going to, we're going to talk about this in the morning, or, you know, we're going to talk about this later. And, and in a, in a, a kind way. I, I definitely am 
going to use that for sure. Wow, there have been so many great tools. And uh, and I, I just can't thank you enough for the opportunity to have this conversation. I, I'd love to have you back sometime because I think we could we could talk about so many different things, um, especially teenagers. I the toddlers and the teenagers, they're they're such a joy and uh, and just you know, learning to manage and make every everybody's lives a little bit better is uh, is always our goal. So thank you again for joining me. Before we go, I'd love for you to share that acronym again that started with hunger. What what were the letters again? And then what um, what do they each mean? Absolutely. So the acronym is HALTS. It stands for hungry, angry, lonely tired, or sick or stressed. Yes, I love that. Halts. And that even the word itself halts, like just, let's just halt. Let's just halt for a minute. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's name what name, name before we tame. Is that what you said? Like, That's uh, right. Name it to tame it. <laughs> name it to tame it. Well, thank you again. And how can people get in touch with you if they would love to learn more about your parenting coaching and just um, parent connects in general? Sure. You can go to beachacres.org, B-E-E-C-H-A-C-R-E-S.org, and you'll find Parent Connect on our website. You could send an email to parentconnect at beachacres.org, and it's C-O-N-N-E-X-T, because we're connecting you to things, parentconnect uh-huh. at beachacres.org. Or we also have a phone number where you could call in, 513 513- Two three three four seven one five, and we can link you up with a parent coach. Just so you know, on average, we see parents four times. We're going to be on your side. We have a formula called Natural Strengths Parenting. So we're on your side. We're helping you get mindful about what you want and how you're showing up to get it. And we're going to give you specific intentions or strategies you can use to get you where you want to go. This is going to be based on your vision and your values and we'll help you get there. Oh, I love that. And do you do you try to work with all those involved with caring for the child or I mean, I know sometimes, you know, one parent might you know, understand versus another, like what, what do you usually suggest when it comes to, you know, who joins in on these calls? When parents ask that question, here's what I usually say. And we've done parents, grandparents, foster parents, anybody involved in the child's life that wants to be a part of, we've done babysitters, we've given information to schools, to daycare centers. But here's what I say, if you're in a partnership, I say to the person who makes the phone call when they ask that question, well, if you can both be there, that's ideal. Because we deal with some co-parenting challenges too. Sure. But if they really kind of try to bottom line me, but what should I do? I ask them this. When you give your spouse advice about something, about parenting, are they receptive to it? Do you already usually agree and they're open to your advice? If so, if just one parent comes, that's great. If you're really far apart, I'm going to help unite you based on each of your differing values, help you understand each other's values and come up with a common co-parenting plan. 
that's a great, a great plan and a great advice because I would imagine you find it could be it, it could be one or the other. And uh, and not that one is wrong and one is right. It, again, it's just based on how they were raised and, and their values, et cetera. Well, thank you again. And uh, I appreciate your time. And I just want to thank everyone here for listening. And let's continue to grow up together. Thanks for listening to another episode of Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. If you enjoyed this episode and think the information shared here today could benefit someone else, take a screenshot of the episode and post to your Instagram story. Make sure you tag us at Growing Up with Dr. Sarah so we can spread the word about the show and continue to grow in our mission to support as many parents and families as possible. Hey, if you're interested in being a guest on the show or would like to suggest a topic, please visit www.growingupwithdrsarah.com slash contact. Thanks again for spending time with us today. Stay tuned for a brand new episode next week as we continue to grow up together.